Why do so many of us feel like air traffic controllers that are out of control? How, how is it possible that with all of the modern conveniences that we have, that were brought about by the Industrial Revolution and the Technological Revolution, things like cars and airplanes and washing machines and dishwashers and computers and smartphones, how is it possible that we still feel so tired? Weren't those things supposed to solve our worlds for us? So begins a book that's titled Margin. It was written in 1992 by a Christian physician named Richard Swinson. Food plus health plus warmth plus education plus affluence does not equal utopia. Somewhere along the way, the equation of progress has broken down. Stress and frustration and sometimes even despair seem to be unexpectedly accompanying that prosperity. Throughout the 1960s, that record of progress actually stayed relatively intact. And then came the 1970s. OPEC threats, fear of nuclear annihilation, and warning bells from the environment. The book, Limits to Growth, which is based upon some MIT research, began to examine the question of can there be exponential growth in a finite system? Well, the 80s and its economic recovery brought a brief respite to the kinds of concerns that were being raised, but it seems like in the intervening years that we have been on a roller coaster from faith to fear of failure ever since. The problem is, is that as Westerners, we've put so much faith in the idea of progress that we honestly can't imagine living any other way. What's the alternative? Regression? Would anyone in their right mind say that we should go backwards? So Swenson, the author of this book, spent 10 years of his life trying to understand what went wrong and to find another alternative. And while what he discovered won't solve every problem in our world, he determined that there was one thing that he saw consistently that led to the emotional and the physical pain that he was increasingly seeing in his patients as they came to visit him. The relentless push of progress had led to an absence of margin in so many of their lives. Margin is the amount allowed beyond what is needed. It's something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion, the space between breathing freely and suffocating. We need room to breathe. We need time to think. We need resources for unexpected needs. We need permission to heal when life has overwhelmed us and we need energy to love. We don't have to be a slave to progress. I know sometimes it can feel that way, and we don't have to be a slave to all of the things that media is constantly telling us. We're going to see lots of that this afternoon in the Super Bowl ads. We can actually choose a different path. We can choose to restore margin in our lives. So today we're in week four of our next series, our next chapter of our church's ministry and our next steps in generosity. We've discovered the joy of living a generous life and we've identified two priorities, reaching and raising the next generation and resourcing our campuses for growth and impact. 
It's wonderful to think sitting here this morning that all of Grace Chapel is behind what we are doing new here at East Lexington and they want to see it thrive and we can feel that support. And then last week we learned that when we give generously, we invite God's blessing on our lives and on our church and on our world. So this is a critical week in our journey. Next week is Intention Sunday, as Pastor Brian just said. And so it's a great time to figure out how to create margin, create space in our lives so that we can hear from God what it is that he wants to say to us as individuals, but also as families. And it turns out that reestablishing margin in our lives can create that kind of space, not only to think about next steps, but also to think about how my life might need to be different in order to be able to live a generous life into the future. So this morning, we're going to turn to a place you might not expect. We're going to turn to an Old Testament book, Leviticus. All right, raise your hands, be honest. How many of you heard, have you have heard a sermon on Leviticus recently? Oh, wow, we have a ticket. No, <laughs> over there. Um, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on Leviticus? Oh, okay, we've got a few at least. Well, that's good. Um, but this book that we often so quickly skip over when we do one of those through the Bible reading plans, it actually has a lot of important things to say about margin and its connection to a generous life. Like the book of Proverbs, which we often see as just a collection of sayings, we often look at the book of Leviticus as just a collection of Old Testament laws. Some parts are pretty clear why they're organized the way they are, the, the chapters that are on festivals or on the offerings in the temple. But most of the other things, we don't even see the rhyme or reason behind why they are laid out the way they are. But the particular chapter that we're going to turn to today, chapter 19, is actually one of the most quoted parts of the Torah readings for the afternoon of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement for the Sins of the Past Year. It's probably the most important Jewish holiday. Many Jews who don't, deserve, who don't celebrate any other Jewish custom will refrain from work, they may fast, and attend synagogue on that day. So chapter 19 begins. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. This really is our starting place for all that we want to talk about today. And yet we need to redeem the word holy. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to sing the song that we did because society unfortunately has demeaned that word. Uh, they often equate it with moral arrogance. And yet, at a very basic level, holiness is simply asking ourselves that we set ourselves apart from the things in the world that keep us from being all that God wants us to be. In a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to persecuted believers near the end of his life, he quotes this verse, saying, I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then he follows up and says, don't slip back into your own ways of living according to your own desires. God's holiness is both a model for us because of who he is and his character, but it's also the motivating force behind how we're able to live the life that God is calling us to live. One of the ways that we can create margin in our lives is to not to follow the business as usual ways of the world. 
So as I said a few minutes ago, what looks at first glance like a miscellaneous list of verses and ideas is upon further examination of very structured text. All ten of the commandments that are given to Moses in Mount Sinai are actually present. They're in a different order and some of them are phrased differently. But the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had a particular message that he wanted to convey. And so he's masterfully woven these Ten Commandments in a particular order in order to make his case to the nation of Israel and to us. Swinson's book talks a lot about limits. In America, we don't like the word limits. Most of us in this room probably don't like the word limits. We don't like it when someone tells us that we shouldn't do something, especially if we hear that little voice in our head that says, this is for your own good. Remember that from your parents? Well, one of the challenges of the Old Testament is actually all of those do nots. And so I love where this chapter starts because it starts with two very important do's. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. In the Old Testament, fathers and mothers were the primary means by which the faith of Israel was communicated to the next generation. So respecting or honoring your father and mother was a way of actually respecting the legacy of the caretakers of the word of God. And in too many modern church settings, parents have distanced themselves from the responsibility to be the ones to share that legacy of truth with their children. We instead give it to those that we see as being gifted in children's ministry or youth ministry. And while we still want to pay attention, for they do have incredible expertise and experience to offer us, we can't hand it over to them entirely. And so that's one of the reasons why we are so committed to multi-generational ministry as a central part of who we are at East Lexington. We want parents to partner with our youth ministry and children's ministry and lead out, partner with the students, mentor one another, and just be invested deeply in reaching the next generation. But note how this verse ends, I am the Lord your God. This phrase is repeated eight times in these first 19 verses, and it separates and describes three primary ways that God wants to be Lord in our lives in order for us to be, find the margin we need. So the first thing we're going to learn this morning is, is that we create space for a generous life when God is Lord of our time. Honoring the Sabbath is not just about rest. The writer of Leviticus is about to say some very challenging things to the Israelites, things that are going to be hard for them to remember and things that are going to be hard for them to do. Sabbaths are meant to interrupt our normal routines, but not just to interrupt them, interrupt them for a purpose, interrupt them to create space so that we can hear from God what it is that he wants us to hear, that he can help us set the priorities in our lives. Often when I'm asked to preach, God gives me, I was laughing with Pastor Jim earlier about this, God gives me a topic because it's something that I'm wrestling with very personally in my own life. I've struggled my entire life to find margin in my time, partly because I'm so curious and I love to do so many things, but partly because I'm not always as disciplined as I should be. I've struggled to find margin in my time over the past year as we've been launching things here in East Lexington. Don't get me wrong, I have loved every minute of being a part of East Lexington. I have loved journeying with every single one of you on this journey. 
but I have at times been stretched, stretched to my limits more often than I would like. I at times experience the physical and emotional overload that Swenson describes in his book. God's been faithful in sustaining me to this point, but he's also been speaking to me very loudly saying, it's time for me to think about how to create more margin in my time, to make God Lord of my time. So as we allow God to become Lord of our time, one of the things I had to learn is God actually gives us permission to slow down. Society doesn't do that, but God does. And unfortunately, it's too easy when we hear that to blame everything out there for why we can't slow down. There's too many demands on my time. There's too many expectations. There's too many needs. But what I learned was what I really need to do is learn how to say no. God never gives anyone too much to do. We do that to ourselves or allow others to do it to us. Let me repeat those two sentences because they're really important. God never gives anyone too much work to do. We do that to ourselves or allow others to do it to us. Among the practices that can help us attend to soul care at a basic level are solitude and silence. Dallas Willard goes on to say, a response to giving attention to personal soul care often is, I don't have time for extensive solitude and silence. I have too much to do. Have any of you ever said that? The truth is that we don't have time not to practice solitude and silence. No time is more profitably spent than that used to heighten the quality of an intimate walk with God. If we think otherwise, we've been badly educated. The real question is, will we take time to do what is necessary for an abundant life and an abundant ministry, or will we try to get by without it? As we allow God to become Lord of our time and spend a portion of that time listening to him, he can help us to straighten out other priorities in our lives. Um, so the next part of the text actually focuses on our resources, both our finances and our possessions. Increasing greed and the haste to become wealthy is severely undercutting. It's one of the reasons that's behind why we have so little margin in our time. Even for those of us that may not per be pursuing wealth directly, the haste to become wealthy, wealthy by others results in a relentless focus on profits at our companies and creates a work culture that often sucks us in that we don't feel that we can say no to. But when is enough enough? So the second thing that we learn about margin is that when we create space for a generous life, God becomes Lord of our resources too. Scripture gives us a wonderful image of what margin in our resources looks like. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and foreigner. I am the Lord your God. The first your in your land is plural. The second your in your field is singular. Leviticus 25.23 in scripture tells us the Lord is the owner of everything. The land was a gift from God and it was a source of provision for the land owner. But the plural you implies 
that in that provision, there is a community responsibility. It's not just for the landover, but it's for the community as a whole. The gleanings of the fields were meant to be left for the poor and the foreigner, but in a way that protected their dignity. It allowed them to harvest their food in a similar way to the landowner and his hired hands. It wasn't simply given to them as charity. We see this blessing, the, the blessing of this practice of gleaning in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. A great story just a few books later in the Old Testament. What I found interesting was, though, is that gleaning is making a return in our modern day. An estimated 96 billion pounds of food are wasted in this country every year, almost a quarter of our entire food supply. For years, the Vermont Food Bank has worked to prevent that waste and redirect it to where it's needed. They've partnered with 87 farms in Vermont since it was formally adopted, it, since it formally adopted its gleaning program in 2008. But gleaning is about so much more. And one of the things that I found most interesting in studying this chapter is, is that gleaning is a protection against stinginess. Our tendency to hoard our resources for our own use. In the next 12 verses, there are five pairs of commands that each all, that end with the phrase we talked about earlier, I am the Lord. And each verse, as you walk your way through the chapter, describes a, a more challenging and more difficult scenario. It starts with stinginess, do not reap to the very edges of your field. But stinginess can lead to fraud. Do not steal or deceive one another. And fraud can lead to oppression. Do not hold back the wages or pervert justice. An awful lot of what the prophets say later in the Old Testament is actually challenging Israel because they didn't listen to the first set of commands and they made it all the way to oppression. They were oppressing the people in the nation of Israel around them, the very people that God had called them to take care of. The word stingy brings to mind stories of Ebenezer Scrooge or the Grinch. But Scrooge, if you remember the story, didn't start out as a lonely man who was trying really hard to make Bob Cratchit's life difficult. He started out wanting the same things that everyone else did, but through a series of choices throughout the story, he ended up, and a lot of it had to do with hoarding, he ended up as a very lonely, misunderstood, sad man. In fact, in the story, he becomes like the Grinch eventually developing a heart that is two sizes too small. So let's return to my earlier question. When is enough enough? Well, while I was preparing, I stumbled across this great story of a couple, Alan and Catherine Barnhart, who live in Memphis, Tennessee. While in college, Alan Barnhart read Ron Sider's book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And right then, he was planning to leave that weekend for a ski trip, and he decided not to go and take the $350 that he would have spent on that ski trip and apply it to famine relief. That one decision early in his college life started him on a pathway and gave him that seed of a root of obedience that would change his life. When Alan and Catherine were dating, they both felt a strong interest in the mission field, but Alan very quickly realized that he was more gifted in business than he was in ministry. And so he told Catherine he had an idea how they could accomplish both 
ambitions, while also responding to what they often saw in scripture as dangers against wealth. Alan and his brother started a new company, and they were both committed to what they called finish line lifestyles, where a family determines what they can live, what it would take to live as a missionary, and then they contribute everything above that towards the field of missions. They also committed that as their company grew, they would not increase their lifestyle. From 1986 to 2004, the company had modest but steady growth. And then from 2004 to 2008, the company grew five-fold, huge increase in, in what they were accomplishing. By 2005, they were giving away a million dollars a month to missions. Unbelievable. And the employees were involved in making those decisions, so they created an entire culture in that company of giving. Joy, an administrator both for Allen and for their foundation, recognizes her employment and calls it holy work. I love that, that's what we were talking about at the beginning. We're giving back to the Lord what he's given to us. The Barnhards learned an important lesson early in their life. God gives us permission to live simply. Well, our family's story is not quite as dramatic as the Barnhards, but as I was reading their story and was thinking and reflecting on our own journey, I realized that we had actually made some similar choices in our life. When we were first married, we settled in Medford, partly because the housing costs were so much lower than the surrounding towns. And even then, the house that we bought was a stretch for a newlywed couple. But as our incomes grew over the next few years, we actually made a choice to not move to a larger house on a larger piece of land. We decided to stay where we are and take whatever increase we had and invested in the house. We actually took some of the money that we saved and we refinanced the house to a 15-year mortgage. And that would prove to be very important because we were able to pay off that 15-year mortgage right as Tim started to head to college. We were able to take those mortgage payments and we were able to apply it to their college educations. Ron and I often saw others at his firm that were living beyond their means. They had bigger houses and they had more expensive cars and we saw the struggles that their family faced as they tried to keep up with the payments. I heard a statistic the other day that said 47% of Americans let all of their income go to simply paying their bills. But we had realized somewhere along the way that all that we needed was in that house that we had bought as a newlywed. We also learned to listen for God's prompting in other places, and it was, this was another way that God built us up in our own giving process. So one evening we were at our life community and we were hosting Jody Miller, who was a Grace Chapel partner in Jordan. And Ron, my husband, was so touched by what Jody shared about his ministry and about the church that they were trying to buy that he went home that night, and this is very unusual for him. He is a big planner, but he went home that night and he wrote out one of the largest checks we've ever, we had ever given at that point to a single ministry and had it ready to give to Jody on Sunday when we saw him again. The next day in the mail, when he came home from work, he found a check for exactly that same amount of money. It had come from our neighbor. We had removed a tree on our property line. We weren't expecting any payment for removing that tree, but they'd sent it to us. 
And that just said, God was, I don't, I don't want to think of it as rewarding us, but God was being faithful to show us that he had seen the commitment that we had made. And then the, even the next year was even more amazing because God allowed us to go to Israel and Jordan. We got to see the very building that we had made a contribution towards. It was a wonderful part of our family's life. So with both of our children graduated from college and still a few years from retirement with Ron, we actually find ourselves in a pretty good place financially at the moment. We've learned from three previous capital campaigns at two churches that we've been involved in. Each one of those, we stretched ourselves when we were asked to make a pledge. And consistently in all three situations, God allowed us to make that commitment, in most cases paying it off early and often giving gifts over and above what that we had initially thought was going to be a stretch. So as we're thinking about our intention for this series, we are stretching ourselves again and trusting and believing and waiting to see how God shows up. Well, the final where, when we're li not living with enough margin in our lives with regards to our time and our resources, that lack of margin can actually begin to endanger both our existing relationships and also endanger any new relationships that God might want to bring into our life for kingdom purposes. So the final thing we're going to learn about this morning is, is that we create space for a generous life when God is Lord of our relationships. I mentioned earlier about the five pairs of commands that end with the phrase, I am the Lord, and that each of these pairs of verses describes a progressively worse scenario from stinginess to fraud to oppression. But for these last two pairs of commands, it starts moving into the impact on our relationships. We go from stinginess to partiality and favoritism that can lead to judgment and slander regarding those around us. We go from stinginess to relational conflict that can actually lead to a cycle of revenge. Well, after all of these don'ts, this section ends on another positive note, another important do that's so important that it's quoted seven times in the New Testament. I didn't even realize that it came from this chapter. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Very similar verse to what they're learning in Kidstown today. I love it when God does that. Stinginess can easily lead to isolation and misunderstanding. Loving your neighbor is not always about what you do. It's also about what you choose not to do, especially in regards to the poor and vulnerable in society. If Ebenezer Scrooge and the Grinch can make different choices about where their lives are headed, so can we. So as God becomes Lord of our relationships, we learn that God gives us permission to enjoy people. He doesn't want us to have an agenda. He doesn't want us to be using them as means to an end. He wants us to simply relate to them as people that were created in the image of God, daughters and sons of a holy Lord. I know you guys have heard me a lot, but I keep say, keep, people keep telling me vision leaks, so we're going to do our vision statement one more time. A local presence of God's people living faith together beyond the walls of the church. One of these Sundays, I'm going to make you guys repeat it back to me. In order to live faith together at a deep level, we will need to find ways to get together more than we do just on Sunday mornings. 
Our vision for life communities across the campuses, I think, is even going to be more important for who we are here at East Lexington. I love that our life communities are rooted in the very communities that God has called us to serve. That's our local presence, where we can meet new people easily, we can spend time with them because we don't have to drive great distances. And in that process of meeting others, we're building community among ourselves. So this is why I'm so excited about the upcoming Linton series at the table that Pastor Jim was talking about earlier, where we're going to be inviting people into our existing life communities, but we're also going to be inviting people to try out one of these table groups if they're not quite sure what a small group or a life community is. But I want everyone to have a taste of what that deeper relationship and sense of community has for them. But in order to do this, we might have to say no in order to be able to say yes. We might have to say no to something else to create space to be able to say yes. The other part of our mission statement is beyond the walls of the church. So as God becomes Lord of our time, our resources, and relationships, we will be in a stronger position to be able to impact the communities God has called us to reach. We all have very full lives. I hear your stories of what people are involved in. That's very much my life. So know that I say this next thing as much to myself as to you. Sometimes those very, very, very full lives are, are keeping us. They're good, but they're keeping us from the very best. We need to believe as a congregation that there are people out in those communities where we've been placed that actually, like the gleaners, have a right to a portion of our time, a portion of our resources, and a portion of our relationships. We need to make space for that to happen. So I say again, we may have to say no to some things in our life in order to say yes. I've actually been practicing this. I've said no to uh, a uh, committee that I've been involved with for eight years in the city that I felt like God was bringing that to an end. Um, I've said no to a couple of things just this past week that I really, really wanted to be at. But that no, in fact, actually someone told me for the one I said on Friday that I made the right decision and that means I passed the test. So, because I needed to prepare for the sermon instead. Grace Chapel Lexington has actually modeled this for us by sending us so many incredible leaders to start this campus. Not just this campus, but the Wilmington campus and the Watertown campus, and now we're reinvesting back in them. But the fact that they were willing to release all of you to come and start this, what are we willing to release to let go of in order to be able to reach the communities that surround us? And so this leads us to our big idea for the morning. A generous life is about, is about choosing what not to do as much as it is about choosing what to do. Next week is Intention Sunday. And as only God can arrange, it's our first year anniversary from when we started to meet here as a leadership team. Can you believe that? Next Sunday. All right. <laughs> That's great. Once again, as he has done from the beginning, God has aligned our journey with other significant milestones and key teaching moments in the life of our church. So what's our intention going to be next Sunday? What's your intention going to be next Sunday? 
where do we, where do you need to slow down in order to make space in your time for God and his priorities? Where do we need to live more simply in order to make space in our resources for God's priorities? And where can we make space in our relationships in order to meet people outside of our normal circles, just to enjoy them, just to love them, and to perhaps draw them into our community here in East Lexington? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the starting point is to remember that you are the God of everything. And yet that's easy to say, Lord, and it's hard to arrange our lives to do. And it's interesting to think that it all boils down to a simple little two-letter word, learning how to say no, so that we can slow down, so that we can live simply, and in that space, enjoy people to the fullest. Not be rushing off, not be hurrying someplace else, but to be able to fully embrace them in the moment. Lord, I do believe you have so much more for us here at East Lexington. I feel like this past year has been a time of preparation, has been a time of preparing our hearts for what you have ahead. But I've also sensed since the beginning of January that it's time to start walking into that future that you've put before us. That future of living faith together, but not just here on Sunday, living it beyond the walls of the church. And it's going to take us creating some time and space in our, res in our, in, in our resources in order to be available to you. So Lord, I pray you would help people to carve out some time this week to sit before you and to understand what it is you're calling them to do. Amen.